Hello, I'm Janet Silver from Syntax Strategic. And I'm Cameron Groom from Microbics Biosystems. Thanks for joining us for Diagnostics Beyond the Lab. On this podcast, we talk to industry leaders in the scientific and health communities about discoveries, challenges, and what they see as the way forward in their field. Today, we're going to talk about antimicrobial resistance, AMR. And Cameron, what's really interesting about AMR is according to the World Health Organization, this is a global health and development threat. In fact, they have declared it as one of the top 10 public health threats. And this affects all of us. Uh, antibiotics, the drugs used to, to treat bacterial infections, are being used all around us, and not just in humans, but also widely in pets and livestock. And with this usage comes resistance to those treatments. So there's a lot of work underway to do this. Speedex is um, a global leader in such work, and they are part of the AMR hub partnership between research and industry. So joining us from Sydney, Australia, is Colin Denver, CEO of Speedex. Welcome, Colin. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start a little bit about Speedex. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the company and its work? Yeah, no, we're an Australian molecular diagnostic company. We have uh, proprietary technology in the field of uh, PCR. So I think everybody since the pandemic is, is pretty well aware of what PCR is. But what we really have in our technology is an ability to multiplex. And especially when we talk about AMR, which is often a series of very complex um, genetic mutations or things that the bacteria have, have acquired to get around the antibiotics and how they work, you need to be able to put lots of those different targets into a single test. And that's what our technology enables us, us to do. And that's what we've been able to, to apply into a number of fields that we're, we're looking forward to talking about today. Colin, you, you spoke a little bit about um, what AMR is. I'm wondering if you maybe go a little bit deeper for our audience. Um, how has that developed over the years and, and, and what are you doing, uh, what is Speedex doing about it? You alluded it to, I think, in the intro that we're really at a point that is, is truly scary since the, since the uh, invention of antibiotics where we're, we're about to approach a period of time where we could have untreatable infections. So infections that with the current antibiotics that we have available to us, are simply not able to, to cure the infection in, in patients. One of the, probably the, the prime examples of this would be gonorrhea. So gonorrhea, we're, we're down to the last line of defense and without either an ability to recycle current options, so options that may um, be able to treat some patients, but not all, or indeed new antibiotic options, uh, we're really at a, at a very difficult time, I think, in, in, um, in, in treatment, I would say, of, of patients infected. Indeed, indeed, scary times. And, and Colin, you, I've, certainly I've seen in, in human and animal health fields many cases of, of AMR emergence. Um, do you see it being limited to STIs or, or moving more broadly to affect human health? Well, I think it's it's been present in a number of other infections, uh, you know, probably most notably uh, tuberculosis, which I think is is obviously a, a massive massive health concern across many, um, both uh, yeah, high income and uh, low and middle income countries. 
Um, but there's others out there as well uh, in the case of uh, if we look at mycobacterium, which is what tuberculosis is a, is a species of, there's other non-tuberculous mycobacterium that are already uh, uh, resistant to the main lines of antibiotics that are, are used to treat those. And in many cases, patients that are infected with those non-tuberculosis mycobacteriums, they, they may have underlying health conditions like uh, cystic fibrosis or, um, or other type of respiratory conditions where those resistant infections can really either severely impact their health or, or even kill them, which is, is very scary. Well, we know you're quite right. This is, um, this is a broad problem. Some of the work that you've done, at least at the outset, is focused on sexually transmitted infections and the antimicrobial resistance within that area. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, about STIs and, and where you know, the health impacts of those? I think STIs have talked a little bit about gonorrhea to start with, but there's other STIs out there that have seen a significant increase in resistance to the, the frontline treatments or the syndromic treatments that are used by clinicians. And I think as people have looked at this more, uh, the scary thing is, especially since the pandemic, uh, things have not gotten better over the course of the pandemic. Uh, and I guess a lack of focus on AMR, given all of the other challenges that were going on with, uh, with uh, the COVID uh, spread as well. And I think ultimately, now that we look back in STIs, there's pathways that, that can be enabled by new and novel diagnostic strategies like resistance-guided therapy that I think have shown the pathway of how we can uh, move ahead without the sort of silver bullet antibiotic that cures everything and how we can better tailor treatment to the individual infection that the patient has. So I think that ultimately is a pathway that I think um, tailoring uh, treatment options with the antibiotics that we have will really be uh, the path forward for dealing with this significant increase in resistance that we're seeing now. Colin, I just want to take that one step further in terms of diagnostics in the lab, and I'm just wondering, are, are you finding in not just SpeedX but others finding that there are other um, diseases, for example, that are 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 becoming more known, if you will, because of the diagnostics and what you're finding in the lab? I'm, I'm, I'm pointing specifically to MGen as one. I think definitely, um, if I look at MGen diagnosis, it, it's definitely, so mycoplasma genitalium diagnosis, it's definitely um, come a long way in terms of the awareness of uh, the bacteria of, as a cause of, of um, certain clinical symptoms uh, uh, within the STI space. And I think now that we're able to go back and look at this uh, infection, it truly is um, a bacteria that is, is pretty spectacular in its adaptability. It's got the smallest genome of any um, bacteria out there, which means only a, a very few amount of mutations that these bacteria can, can pick up can lead, lead to significant changes in the bacteria that allows it to become resistant to the antibiotics that, that are being used to treat it. So. Again, it's it's something that now that we now that we are looking for mm -hmm. it, and now that we are studying it more generally, and and in a routine diagnostic space, we're able to better um, tailor how um, clinical pathways can be created to to address the uh, the infection. Could you talk a little more about Amgen, Colin? Um, you know, folks folks that I've spoken to have been very surprised to learn that there's this sexual, very common sexually transmitted infection they never heard of. So 
tell us a little bit more about MGEN and clinically its relevance and how, how does this come about? So it, the funny thing is, and again, it, it's sort of the golden rule of diagnostics is if, if you don't look, you won't find it. So um, when you look back at the, the studies that have been done over the years of patients that are, are that presenting to, to STI clinics or to general practice with certain symptoms like cervicitis or urethritis, the way it used to, to play out is you'd probably have two thirds of these patients would be infected with either chlamydia or gonorrhea. And about one third of these patients um, would be not otherwise detected or no, there was no known cause of, of the, of the um, symptoms. So with the advent of better diagnostics, so sort of over the last five to 10 years, but definitely within the last five years, what we've seen from the literature is of that third of patients, you know, a, a large percentage of those patients were actually infected with M. genitalium. And again, of those third of patients that would come back or of the total amount of patients that would come back with recurrent symptoms, there was a significant amount of those patients presenting back to the same clinics where they had their initial treatment that were actually infected with M. genitalium. So it was taking multiple courses of antibiotics to, to get a successful treatment outcome. And again, I think that's where diagnostics plays a big role is actually identifying what they're infected with as the first as the first priority, and then being able to tell whether what they're infected with is going to be successfully treated with the antibiotic that, that you choose. So flying blind, we, we don't know what's causing your symptoms, and certainly need to just keep randomly trying to find a therapy. And again, sometimes the treatment was actually the same therapy again, but just at a higher dose. So again, you're you're already um, you're already infected with a, a resistant bacteria, and you're trying to treat it again with a with the antibiotic that it's already resistant to. So it, it really was um, a very difficult time for some of these patients to 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 resolve their symptoms. And again, talk about it later on, but the 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 impact on the health system was that that these patients were a you know presenting multiple times with the same infection, and uh, in many cases uh, spreading this infection because they thought that they were cured after the first dose of antibiotics. Colin, can you delve a little bit more into the role of advanced diagnostic tests for organisms such as MGen and? and how critical the accuracy of those tests are. Again, it's something that as as uh, clinical pathways evolve and as more of the issues with treatment uh, come about, such as MGen and these sort of <clears throat> unresolved cases that were causing symptoms, the ability for um, clinicians to have more data is really important. So I think um, comp diagnostic companies that, that work with these clinicians, such as the way Speedex has worked when, within the, the sexual health um, clinician uh, uh, universe, I guess, you know, we, we knew there was a problem. We knew that there needed to be a new diagnostic pre uh, prepared. And again, you have to, to, to create a diagnostic that A is, is able to diagnose the infection um, consistently, but also able to be run in a lab setting. So the labs have a number of, of um, criteria that need to be met before they can adopt the assay. And indeed, they have a number of, of things that are, are different 
um, additional um, components to the diagnostic test that they need to to run in to ensure quality of the assay, uh, you know, initially and and throughout the course of their um, offering the service to the clinicians. Colin, if you don't mind, I just want to go back to something that you said a bit ago, and that's with regards to gonorrhea and being able to treat gonorrhea. And I'm wondering if, because of the the concerns in being able to treat this STI, if we're now looking at AMRs across the board uh, for all STIs, for example, and what you're finding. Yeah, well, I think the focus is is definitely gonorrhea, just because I think it it has. Um, been identified so many times as an issue. So there's a there's quite an interesting graphic if you ever want to look at it that shows the time with which gonorrhea has or the time by which gonorrhea has developed resistant to a new antibiotic that has been used. And I think the the one that sticks out to me is that there was a, a drug released in the late 90s or an antibiotic released in the late 90s where within a year, uh, antibiotic resistance to that drug had developed to over 90%. So it, it's something that it, it is supremely flexible in what it can do, gonorrhea. Uh, and I think ultimately it probably presents the, the greatest challenge from both a treatment and a diagnostic sense to to overcome all of these these mechanisms that gonorrhea has within its um, within its uh, its genetic makeup. In terms of other other uh, issues within the space uh, of STIs, there's others that come through, but I think those are, are probably the biggest ones that we face within gonorrhea. I think there's there's other challenges in other bacteria. Um, Helicobacter pylori is another one that has um, multiple antibiotics that you need to to use now. I think they're up to to quad therapy, so there's four different antibiotics that go into to to treating Helicobacter, and I think there's um, even resistance within within those um, those anti or those um, treatment options as well. So I think there's there's definitely other high level um, severe disease causing um, bacteria that definitely need um, new and innovative approaches that combine diagnostics and uh, and the right treatment at the right time. Fully agree, Colin. Is is um, MGen or Mycoplasma genitalium is that a good example of how AMR profiling can actually help uh, define treatment protocols and get to more effective outcomes. I, I really think it is, and I think it, it it's come very much through partnership. And I think the partnership between the various players that you need to be able to deliver um, what ultimately we're all working toward, which is a better patient outcome. MGen for me is is one that has has sort of highlighted how I think this should be done. Obviously, identified by clinicians in terms of um, uh, treatment failures of their patients, identified by uh, genomics in terms of these are the mutations that are causing the resistance, and then a, a partnership between the laboratory, the clinicians, and the the commercial diagnostic company to deliver uh, a better diagnostic option that enabled new uh, pathway for for treatment of those patients and then went on to inform guidelines so you know STI guidelines uh, based on the work that we've done within MGen have been modified so that they uh, recommend resistance guided therapy as the first path of uh, of, um, of treatment for anyone infected with M genitalium again shows people how they should be 
using the antibiotics uh, more focused in, as opposed to just uh, the syndromic approach where treat everybody the same and not based on the individual uh, bacterial infection that they have. And beyond MGen, I'm wondering, is, is there enough control? Is there enough technology? Do we have the resources um, to put those kind of controls in place across the board? STI for, for all STIs? Well, I think that's one of the things that, that obviously comes into how quickly you can get these options into, into the market and into routine use within a laboratory is as fast as you can develop a diagnostic kit, you also need to have the, the positive uh, controls to ensure that the lab is, is, is able to, to deliver the consistent results that you need to consistently deliver um, the right information for treatment. So as quickly as you can work to, to develop both options, so both the, the diagnostic um, detection uh, as well as the, the controls that the, the laboratory needs to utilize, and then as, as well as the, you know, so the quality control or the, the quality assurance panels that goes out to ensure that, that everybody's able to deliver consistent results. I think that the quicker you can do that and the, the better um, alignment you have within all parts of that, um, that process, the better it will be for people because we don't, we really don't have a lot of time to, to sort of figure this out. We have to, we have to sort of, you know, build the plane on the way down, you know, the, the, the resistance is, is popping up everywhere and it's not getting better for sure. Now that we're looking after COVID, it's actually getting uh, much, much worse than we originally anticipated. Take steady nerves to sew the parachute on the way down. Uh, <laughs> but I think, absolutely. I think your analogy is, is a great one. And we, we've got the same sort of multiple drug resistance problems in STI infections across Canada. And that's not just MGen, but that's chlamydia, that's gonorrhea, syphilis, other STIs that I hope you've never heard of. Um, and maybe we could touch a little bit more on, on the, the way that MGen Resistance profiling change the uh, the treatment protocols, Colin. Yeah, and again, that's it's yeah. been it's been a wonderful experience for for Speedex in working with all of the sort of the key the key folks within that space. So, again, when we started working with uh, originally with a group down in Melbourne at Melbourne Sexual Health Centre, uh, the the cure rates for their MGen infected patients was down as low as forty eight percent. So when you think about it, one of every, one of every two patients was was failing frontline treatment. So there's a significant challenge that they had, and a significant um, <clears throat> desire to 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 adapt the current practice to something that they knew was going to be successful. So we worked with them on a diagnostic strategy that that changed the uh, they changed the uh, initial. Uh, treatment from azithromycin to doxycycline, which is very effective at treating chlamydia, but not that great at treating um, M. genitalium. Uh, and they would base the use of their azithromycin, so they did a, a sequ sequ sequential treatment pathway where they would base the use of azithromycin on the assay, uh, on the results of the assay that we would run, which would tell them whether they were A, M. gen infected, and B, whether they had the resistance markers um, for azithromycin. And with that, they were able to, to increase, this is a study that was published in 2018, they were, they were able to, to see an increase in their cure rates of their patients using two very common antibiotics. The doxycycline has been around for, for many, many years. 
uh, and you're still using azithromycin and moxifloxacin, which are, are well-established antibiotics in, in the field, they're able to increase their um, cure rates to, to over 95%. So again, just by using the, the, the treatment options that we have available in a more focused, um, tailored or personalized way, I think is, is really the, the way forward. Are you seeing, Colin, as well, given what you have have learned, are there key policy takeaways from this? And, and, and how are you able to communicate what should be perhaps the way forward and the standard forward um, to policymakers? Well, I mean, I think it's a great point, Janet. And I think you know, obviously you can create all these wonderful options that you like, but if unless it's been... I guess enabled by policy, it's very, very difficult to change what is is the the current practice. And I think you know it goes to I think two main areas that I would say um, would influence that. So number one, clinical management guidelines. So in in our case, it's the STD STD management guidelines. So we have guidelines based here in Australia, uh, across Europe, UK, France, uh, Canada, and uh, the CDC guidelines in the US have all change to to recommend this resistance guided therapy approach for for things like mgen which is fantastic the second aspect i would say is reimbursement so the laboratories that you want to run these assays you want to be um and again these assays are delivering significant um, both healthcare and and economic benefits to wherever they've been implemented you want to ensure that the laboratories are also incentivized to run these assays um, from a reimbursement point of view as well. So I think if you really combine those two elements, I think there's there's a very good chance of uh, of quick uh, and uh, and uh, significant success. So Colin, going from ten patients out of twenty failing frontline therapy to one patient out of twenty is is big. Uh, is it's just a huge advantage in better outcomes at, at a cost of maybe tens of dollars per patient uh, versus you know, thousands or tens of thousands or more for complications. Is is that a message that's resonating with with policymakers, uh, or is it? Or is this still at the early days of, of understanding? Well, I mean, I think. It's still probably early days. I think, you know, obviously with the, the sort of the pandemic pause, as I, as I would say, in terms of looking, you know, really at, at optimizing STD, um, management, I think that a lot of the key studies that, that they, the policymakers would want to see in terms of healthcare economics just haven't been performed when it comes to MGen. But uh, I think really you can focus on three main areas when you look at the, the benefits that are, are being delivered. And again, anything with antimicrobial resistance probably follows uh, a similar path to what we see in MGEM. And it, you know, the three main areas, I would say the overall healthcare system, so both economics and, um, and uh, the, the impact. So you know, anytime you have antimicrobial resistance, you're, you're basically retreating the same infection. So your cost per infection, you know, at least doubles. But again, if you're retreating them with the same antibiotic, you know, it could triple or quadruple depending on how many times you're you're treating the same the same infection. And so driving AMR. But you're also you're also increasing transmission rates because people are not being cured the first time and they may think they are, and it's spreading the the infection or increasing the burden within the system. Second one is on the the clinicians. So obviously 
every time that you have to retreat the same infection, it increases the burden on the healthcare providers. And again, what we've seen over the course of the pandemic is that situation is, is something that we absolutely have to try to address in terms of maintaining high levels of capacity, depending on what's coming, whether it be winter or the next pandemic challenge or whatever it might be. But I think that the third one, and probably, you know, may, yeah, I would say the most important one is, is on the patient. So long-term infection with some of these STDs can have really long-term effects on the person uh, physiologically. Uh, in terms of, you know, could be infertility, could be chronic pain, um, things like that, but but definitely from their mental health uh, aspect. So STDs really do have a significant impact on people's uh, outlook. And, you know, the sooner you can clear them, the, the better it is for both their physiology and their, their mental health. Colin, just before we go off the top of this podcast, we said that SpeedX was part of the AMR hub that was launched in August. What is the AMR Hub? So this is uh, an Australian government-funded collaboration uh, between uh, significant players within the STI research community here in Australia. And we do have some international um, uh, participants as well, but really it's asking sort of the really hard questions within STIs around AMR and how new um, pathways can be enabled to to better address the significant challenges that we've talked about today. So, you know, getting to the last line of, of antibiotic treatment in gonorrhea or uh, emerging uh, emerging resistance that we're seeing in, in terms of, of MGen or other or other STIs. So it really brings together, I think, some some of the key folks that we, we need to to input on what's next in terms of a, a better a better pathway to treat patients. So it's a, a really exciting um, program and, and some really exciting things are, are coming or have already come out and are continuing to come out from the, the work that they do. Well, thank, thank you so much for this call. I mean, I, I, I'm excited about the prospect of people to see patients diagnosed. What's the cause of the infection definitively? And then what's an intelligently guided therapeutic regimen? That treats the patient better doesn't promote AMR and uh, and gets more cost-effective outcomes. So, uh, thank you and, and the whole SpeedX team for uh, for such excellent work on this. And, and thank you so much for joining us today to uh, to inform us about it. Thanks, Janet. Thanks, Cameron, for the opportunity to speak today. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I think yeah, the way things are going, that the the future isn't as grim as uh, as it might look when you read the reports. I think there's some really exciting research going on and, and we're very pleased to be to be part of that uh, process. Luck favors the prepared and the harder we work, the luckier we get. So thank you again. That's all the time we have for today, but thank you for tuning in. I'm Cameron Groom. And I'm Janet Silver, and this is Diagnostics Beyond the Lab. Till next time. <laughs>